What's in the box? What's in the suitcase? What's in the box? Deep Shots. Hey everybody, welcome to Deep Shots Podcast, where we cover the latest in politics and current events, the real important stuff of the world. Wade, how are you doing? What is on your mind? It's got to be this Israel-Palestine thing. Let, let, let me hear it. Yeah, I'm more focused on Speaker of the House and uh, you know what's going on. I just you know, it's, a lot of complaints crazy. about the Speaker of the House. A lot of complaints. He's just like Joe, his predecessor, Joe Manchin, resigning. I mean, what are we gonna do? Ugh. It's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. Okay. All right. See ya, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So today we're gonna not cover those important topics and cover a top to cover topics that are near and dear to our heart that kind of get us away from the daily grind and we're gonna do one of our my favorite episode types it's the hodgepodge where we've gotten so far ahead of ourselves in the things that we've watched that we're just like ah fuck it let's just talk about all of it yeah yeah let's let's move quickly let's just you know give just give a sprinkling of uh of stuff TV, movies, you know, who knows? Maybe even politics. Before we get into that, who's cooking Thanksgiving? Are you the cook? I am definitely the cook in this house. And uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm cooking two different Thanksgivings. Um, Since my wife is working tomorrow, I'm making a turkey um, for her co workers at the hospital. and that we'll be delivering that tomorrow. And then on Sunday, when we have our own family Thanksgiving, I'll be cooking that meal as well. Yeah, holy shit, that's a lot of work. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, I'm That's gonna, how good of a guy I am. I'm going to sleep in, unless there's a call. I'm going to sleep in, and then I'm going to go watch my kids play football with a bunch of other kids. And then I'm going to watch the Lions game. So... A discussion came up in my house. So my wife is working Thursday and Friday at the hospital. God bless her. You know, taking care of babies. You know, your babies. My babies. All over. Well, babies all across. What does she county. know that I don't know? <laughs> and and so she, you know, God bless her. Works twelve hour shifts, seven a.m. to seven p.m. Thursday and Friday. And so we were the discussion of when to hold our family Thanksgiving arose. And one of my first statements was, well, Michigan plays Ohio State on Saturday. Yes, very true. Three and a half, three and a half points. That was met with much consternation. Yeah. Let me, let's just, let me ask, let me, let me, just so I'm 100% clear. (laughs) Your wife, who will be working at a hospital saving my babies mm-hmm. and others, mm-hmm. has some form of agita because the day that she has off and you wants to celebrate Thanksgiving with her family, you're telling her that potentially maybe the slightest chance a football game might be more important. That's the way she framed it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I could kind of see, you know, I could kind of see how she would be taking that that way. Yeah. Um, I just mentioned it. I didn't say we can't have it that day. Yeah, we can't, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. But I just mentioned that was the day of the game. You're casting. 
You're yeah. casting a bob to see what the reaction is, and if the reaction is negative, you reel it back and go, oh, no, I wasn't really going to watch. I was just throwing it out there that they're scheduled on that day. But but Slavic, I'm a red-blooded American male. You Like you just said. Well, at least you identify what you, as what, that. What are you going to do? You're going to wake up, watch the Lions. What's going to be happening while you're watching the Lions tomorrow? Uh, my wife will be, I mean, she's already started going after Thanksgiving meals. Um, I think she's working on stuffing right now while I'm doing this podcast. Um, I do have to clean up. We just got windows installed, so I got to clean up some areas where we had to move some furniture and do some things like that. But other than that, Thanksgiving is kind of a loungy day for me. So I guess my rebuttal was... You know, most red-blooded American males are treating Thanksgiving as a loungy day. So just because my loungy day is Saturday and it overlaps, I mean, am I so different? Yeah, good luck with that. Let me know how that works out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a bold, it's a bold premise. One, I wish you the best of luck. I mean, I don't know. I don't think you're gonna make it. We came to the mutual decision that Sunday would be the best day for our Thanksgiving Aww. because we'll need we will need Saturday to you know clean the house and and after watch football you know, she, and watch football. Uh, so yeah, anyhow, that's uh, that's a glimpse into my life there. That we, we you know we typically Slavic, you typically start these off with uh, anecdotes from your life. So I thought I would share today. No, I thought that was great and hilarious because exactly what I said. You're casting in the water just to see if you can pull off a miracle. And it sounds like you did. It actually sounds like you did pull off a miracle. Spoken like someone who's done it before. I don't have any idea what you're talking about. I would never, ever (laughs) (laughs) compromise my family for another event. Event. Mm. Especially not golf or anything else. So anyhow... This is a, a pop culture podcast. We again, as Slavic mentioned, we've we've mentioned a couple of different items of uh, television and movies that we've been watching or that we wanted to watch, and we thought we'd just discuss them tonight. So, where where do you want to start, Slavic? Well, first, I want to say that um, I installed a pop filter on my mic, so hopefully that'll cure some of the ailments that were hurting the podcast before. I started out with a pop pop filter, and then when I turned to this, what? Did, why are you laughing? Oh, I thought you were gonna blame me for not having a pop filter. So. I wasn't even gonna keep you involved. I was just gonna say I used to have a pop filter, and then I didn't have a pop filter when I got my new mic. So I have one now. Man, you are guilty. You feel a ton of guilt all the time. <laughs> a lot of guilt. Wow. Wow. Okay. So where do I want to start? I think we should start with the lioness. Special ops lioness. So lioness, special ops lioness. uh, If you're not familiar with it, it's a show that was on Paramount Plus. It is in the Taylor Sheridan universe. Taylor Sheridan of Yellowstone. I wouldn't say universe. I'd say it's just created by him because the universe would suggest that it's in the Yellowstone. I'm sorry. I just want to make that point of distinction. I know what yeah, you're getting at. I just don't want to confuse our four-member audience. Yeah. So it's a show by Taylor Sheridan. Um, and 
it's again I was on Paramount Plus. The IMDb tagline here is uh, Joe, who played by Zoe Saldana, attempts to balance her personal and professional life as the tip of the spear in the CIA's war on terror. She enlists Cruz, a female special operations Marine, as an undercover operative in the Lioness program. So the Lioness program is basically a, a program of, of women operatives, I, I guess. Is that what we're led to believe here? Yeah, I think that's accurate. They're highly trained. Job is to infiltrate um, cells or operations within uh, Middle Eastern operations and assassinate people. Yeah, that's- so I think that's a good macro perspective, but this show kind of loses itself in a whole bunch of other stuff that they're involved in. Yes. Yeah. For sure. And I guess the, to finish the point on Taylor Sheridan, yeah, so it's Yellowstone, Tulsa King, which is the, the Sly Stallone show, Mayor of Kingstown, which is like the prison show with Jeremy Renner, and all these other Yellowstone spinoffs, 1883, 1923. Um, 1883. Did, did write uh, Wind River, also wrote Sicario. Those are their movies that I like, but his television shows, they all seem to have a similar bent. And that bent is that they are all tuned to 11. I mean, they are, if you can dream it, it'll appear on screen. Um, And that's what my big criticism of this show is, is that it's not enough for Zoe Saldana to be a CIA operative, but her husband is a brain surgeon, uh, a pediatric brain surgeon. And not only is Nicole Kidman some former former CIA operative, her husband like moves markets with, with, with trades and what have you. We never really understood what he was. But every character on the show is like very important to the world order, <laughs> it seems. And... Not only do we have terrorist operations going on, but one of the subplots here is that Zoe Saldana's daughter gets in a car crash, shockingly, in in the middle of one episode. But not only does she get in a car crash, but we find out that she's pregnant. A 14-year-old girl. 15-year-old girl, whatever she is. And it's just that amount of drama. And I haven't even talked about all the the infiltration of the terrorist cell yet like that those are all subplots that i just uh talked about there and character traits and it's just it's just way too much way too much i tend to agree with you that although this show at its core is trying to do something much better than other shows or movies with sophisticated women characters I think that it just, it not only does it have all of those things, right, that kind of organically, but way too often have majority of problems happening, um, which is difficult to swallow. It also creates its own disasters by poor decision making by the main characters. And you're like, so not only is the periphery of everything they're doing in utter chaos 
the things they're supposed to be exceptional at also have utter chaos. And it just like, why are these people good at what they're doing? It just doesn't seem like they're good at anything that they're doing. And the prime example of this is that Zoe's character recruits a character to take over for a person that she had to mur- she had to kill early in the in the season. And so she uses this character to train her up to get her ready, but then for some reason to test her loyalty right before she's sending her undercover. She beats the shit out of her. Yeah, to see if she would break. And so now when she goes in front of the people that she's supposed to be infiltrating, they're like, hey, why are you beat to hell? And it's like, well, now they have to solve that. And it's like, yeah, well, but why would you ever do that? Like, why would you ever? Supposedly three years had gone by and she had chosen that time. Like, it just didn't make any sense. And and it continues to do this. And, you know, like, and this is a Hollywood problem all around. I can't just blame um, Terry, but Taylor, I'm sorry. Um, it's Taylor. that whenever a female character or a male character end up in a room together with the opposite sex or the same sex nowadays, it turns into a romantic relationship. And it, I mean, I maybe it's another level of just, I'm not that good enough. I'm not that good looking enough to be in those echelons, but it just seems like everybody, like as soon as there, you, you knew from the first day that when this undercover girl and the person that she was infiltrating works together, that it was like one step too far that they were going to end up to, like somehow together and kissing. And of course, that's what happened. And you're like, you have to, I guess the problem with the show, and I'm just giving these examples to make my final point, is that you're constantly suspending disbelief here. You're like, you're constantly, okay, well, I have to buy this to understand that. And then I got to buy this store. Okay, well, okay, so I got to buy this again. Like, you're just constantly convincing yourself to buy in and and you're like okay at what point like this show could have been something spectacular it could have shown which i i gotta think exists on some level uh, female operatives that operate in a high level are very well trained and are able to do amazing things to the benefit of this country I think you have an excellent show just in those three sentences. But this show like muddies all of that. And it's just, it, you get lost in it. And despite the the promising cast, despite rooting for this show, you're just, you're just, it's, it's too much fantasy. Yeah. I think if this show was just focused on, Zoe Saldana's crew and and Cruz, who she you know again is the the character's name that she recruits and tries to infiltrate, and they just focused on that. I, I think it would be a great show. I mean, probably a better movie than a show, but yeah, it just gets muddled down into everything. But my one of my other big problems was I just never bought that Cruz would be taken in. By this Aaliyah, who is played by Stephanie right. Neuer. she's the 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 Mark, right? She's she's the one that cru- the Cruz has to befriend and and become because Aaliyah is an heiress and to some oil, some guy who controls oil prices basically or controls 
the volume of oil that flowing out of the Middle East. And I just never bought the relationship. Like Cruz is very stereotypically, I guess what I would consider a, a female Marine. She's, she's very uncultured. You know, she lacks some femininity. She's, she's a tough bitch, you know? And this Aaliyah projects everything you would think of a Middle Eastern heiress. And the two of them seem to connect almost inexplicably because they meet in a dress shop or something like that. And the next thing you know, the the, the Aaliyah's yeah. flying crews across the globe. And yeah, you did see that coming, their relationship or their interest in each other. But I just never even bought why this Aaliyah would befriend her so quickly and then you start globetrotting yeah, with her. Yeah, the speed of it, just, it doesn't it make sense. Work. I didn't make sense. I agree with you that it would have been so cool to focus on just that CIA operation and what they could have accomplished. And of course, shame on me for thinking I could do it better, right? Because that's kind of the knock on Hollywood right now is that everybody thinks they could do it better. But as far as a story, you could have had Joe managing several operatives. So you'd have one in training one that's undercover, and you could dedicate different times of the show to exploring issues with those different levels of where people are. So you could have somebody like Cruz in training and then have somebody that's already been embedded that she's you know strategizing with instead of the speed at which Cruz comes up. And not only does she come become trained super fast, she's befriends into this group, and you just... You never understand the charity. Why is this woman willing to spend money on this woman just because she's some kind of, I don't know, charity case? It just didn't make a ton of sense. So um, for me, this show, uh, even though I watched all of it, I watched all of it pretty quickly, ultimately wasn't that impressive. I don't think I'm going to stick with it if there's a second season, which I bet there will be. Yeah, I would think there potentially would be I, I you know it seems like there's unexplored stuff with nicole kidman's character and you know maybe maybe nicole kidman is the, the kind of linchpin to the show and then there will be a different cia operative that's not zoe saldana i i don't know I, it, that it, again it, the show is so packed that it's hard to understand yeah who's more who's more important to the show and the, the side missions that they send you on with this, the Kyle character and, you know, Joe's operatives get pulled into Kyle's operation. It's almost like they're, they're yeah. the only two operations. Not to mention it's two completely on illegal. Earth. And you're really hoping the CIA isn't doing this stuff. Yeah. That there's some accountability. Was there something that you really liked about this show? Because I have one that I want to discuss. Um, I thought Morgan Freeman was kind of neat to see in that role. Um, he was kind of a tough guy. Specifically, Morgan Freeman cursing was great. Like, yeah, to, to hear him saying "What the fuck" in in that voice, or I can't even do a Morgan Freeman impersonation. I thought he was. I thought he was kind of a standout. I also always like Michael Kelly, yep. who plays Byron Westfield. He kind of he's been somewhat typecast as that guy, um, but he does a great job with it. I still can't get over that Nicole Kidman is in this show, especially since they already have Zoe Saldana. Sorry, I butchered her name. Um, to me, those two are 
pretty big A-listers, and for them to share, I don't know how they afford them both, A, and then B, I, I, it just seems like it's overwhelming star power. So I was kind of hoping for one of them to be more of the shining light than the other, and the range that Zoe has to play, and, and I don't think this is on her, I think she does a really good job, but I think it's tough to pull off the tough, I'm running a special operations group for CIA, and then I have to come home and be a feminine wife to my husband. I think that's a tough thing to do, and I think she's doing a good job of it. I just... it the. It's a flow issue with me, right? So I'm assuming if this... It's it's a yeah. yo-yo, and it's... it's Like, in real life, if this was a real-life thing, right, I would think that the person gets to decompress on the flight or gets to decompress... You know what I mean? Like, it just... You get... She's intense in this moment, and the next moment she's arriving at her house. There's no, like, transition. So, um, yeah. I, I, I don't know that we need to spend much more time on this one, but... Uh, for me, it's uh, it's it's a pass. I I don't know that I'm gonna stay with it, but you never. I guess you never know. Yeah. Maybe the second think, season will be. Like I said, I think there was potential there, and it's definitely FCT, but uh, FCT. Not, we need a jingle a, for that. Not a whole lot uh, there that really was. Is, so for those of you don't, that don't know what FCT means, it's folding closed television. That's right. Right. <laughs> bum bum bum. So all right. So what are we doing next, my friend? Next, I want to talk about the latest movie, big movie to hit Netflix, and that would be David Fincher's The Killer. Oh yeah, yeah. So David Fincher uh, directed this movie. Um, it's by the same writer as that he worked on with Seven, but you know David Fincher directed Seven, Zodiac, Fight Club, Social Network. Girl with Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl. I mean, he doesn't really miss. He does not. He, most of his movies are the upper echelon of, of my, my movie rankings. I heard that David Fitchner is tough to work with, though. Not not necessarily with the actors, but with executives. But, I mean, if you have hit show after hit show after hit show, I mean, don't you just go, you kind of just do what you need to do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So the killer, uh, the IMDb tagline here is after a fateful near miss, an assassin battles his employers and himself on an international manhunt he insists isn't personal. So if you read that and you're thinking about most assassin movies, you'd think, you know, you think a lot of things. You know, you, most assassins are these lone wolves who are very disciplined. And if you were making a movie of an assassin, you'd typically portray that person as very competent. And what I find very amusing about this movie is I don't think this guy's very good at his job. And that's really? the subversion of that trope of, you know, most assassins. Like we just talked about, on Lioness, you know, the these CIA folks are super t well trained. They take out this Al Qaeda cell, you know, in minutes in the dark. Um, this guy misses his first target, 
he when he goes to kill the second person on his list he kills them too quickly he has mantras that he doesn't abide by at all costs um and you know he gets into a a fight he gets into a hand-to-hand combat with one of his targets and it goes poorly you know so i just i really enjoyed i thought this movie was funny that how subversive it was to the normal assassin trope and i just i really enjoyed it i thought it was great it's not one of fincher's best movies um but i but i really enjoyed it so i too enjoyed it but i took away something very different i didn't think it was that he's not very good at his job i think he's actually very good at his job he you're just seeing him on the one day he has a bad day. Well, it's not one day, but well, well, two days, right? Two, or three days, and then he goes on a revenge ploy. Every one of his kills goes awry, and he and and he also uh, breaks his own rules with every kill. Yes, because I think you're you're seeing him doing things out of his norm. Um, but some kills definitely go okay. The expert, uh, played by Tilda Swinton, goes fine. He predicts that she's got a knife and he kills her. The the uh, letting go of Arliss Howard, the client, was pretty decent. Well, but but he's he's showing empathy, and and his his one of his mantra is forbid empathy. Empathy is weakness. Weakness is vulnerability. He's also subjecting himself to. Uh, being, you know, he Arliss Howard could call the police the minute he walks out the door, and he's he's setting himself up. But he, he can't do that. He's what is he gonna do? He's, uh, no, he can't call the cops. What is he gonna? I hired this killer and he tried to kill me. All he has to say is there was a intruder that had a gun, uh, you know, pointed at me. I, you know, I'm just saying. I I I'm surprised that you don't see that. I I mean, it was. I just think you're catching him on a bad day where he fucks it up, and then you're seeing him struggle like he hasn't made a mistake before. And if the reason I'm saying you're catching him on that is like he has a ton of money. He's obviously been successful for many years. He lives on an island. He has a beautiful house. And you're just catching him in a bad – he misses, right? So then what are the repercussions from that miss, and how is he dealing with it? He's never had to deal with it. So you're watching him break his own rules. You're watching him struggle with, I fucked up. But in the end, he he's a master and he takes care of business. Is it? Because let's talk about the end of this movie. Did did you? I mean, I had there, some... Is there a credit in the credit scene? Because I didn't see that. No. no. So after, you know, he's successful in his missions, uh, you know, Finger quotes successful. Yep. Uh, he's back in the Bahamas or Dominican Republic with uh, at his house, and the the narration, which is omnipresent in this movie, kicks in, and he says, "Fate is a placebo. The only life path is the one behind you. In the brief time we're all given, if you can't accept this, well, maybe you're one of the few. Maybe you're just like me, one of the many." And then his face kind of twitches, and that's and it cuts to black. 
So he's admitting there at the end that he's just another guy. He's yeah. just he's one of the many. He says it all he, the he's time. Not, he's not some elite person. No, he says on the very first kill, he's like, I am not special. Mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm not a just, says I'm not a genius. I'm not a genius. So you're told right from the get go that he's just an everyday guy that has certain skills, just like a carpenter has skills or a or a sheet metal guy has skills. His skill happens to be this, right? But I know I didn't get I didn't get the mystery in this like you did. I guess I I thought they presented it all there for you and. Boom, there it was. I thought it was excellent. I thought it was fun. You know, I miss movies like this. I miss, I I wish there was more. And um, we've talked about this before, that this movie just kind of stands on its own. You watch it, you enjoy it, you kind of move on. I was kind of blown away by some of, like, the cat, whenever, maybe it's just me. Whenever I see Tilda Swinton on anything, I'm like, this must be a high class movie because <laughs> she just, she just like whenever I see her on screen, I'm like, man, that is one classy, sophisticated lady. She knows, but Kate Blanchett until till the yeah, Swinton. Kate, yeah, like <laughs> yes, <laughs> like Kate, Mrs. If I were to see, her, I'd be like, Mrs. Blanchett, how are you? Like, how are you? Um, she's just, uh, I don't know. When I look back over her career too, she hasn't like done a ton of like highbrow fancy fancy i mean she has but she it's not like crazy mm-hmm. but she has this presence about her where i'm like man she's gonna spank me with a ruler i think <laughs> maybe it's because uh she's played like hasn't she played like a queen she was like queen elizabeth in a, in a movie or something i'm not sure uh she definitely does some interesting characters and she's in she's in just bizarre movies she's like in michael clayton She's in um great Michael Clayton. Oh, it's, it's gut-wrenching. Gut-wrenching. Um obviously she's in the Marvel universe. Um she's in that this one movie called I think it's um Constantine. 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 There you go. <laughs> Constantine. Constantine. <laughs> um yeah, it she's in Vanilla Sky. I don't know she's just uh, kind of a higher level actress for me. Yeah, I don't know if it's justified, but I like her presence, and I don't even remember what my point was on all that. Yeah, so I mean, back to Fastbender, and we haven't even said his name yet. I mean, it's I don't I typically don't like movies with narration, but I think it works in this in this movie because it's not he's not telling you. He's not telling. He's not giving you plot by his narration. You know, he's t- he's giving you character, I guess. Um, but again, I think it's interesting how he's uh, he doesn't doesn't seem to follow his own bullshit, right? It's anticipate, don't improvise, trust no one, never yield an advantage. I mean, these are all things that he doesn't do, but that's his mantra that he he says before he goes into any situation. Um, fight only the battle you're paid to fight. He's not paid for any of these. Um, right. You know. Um, it's just a revenge ploy. And again, I, I just think from the get-go, they're they're telling you that this guy is, I, I don't know, I, I see it as, as he's kind of a fuck-up. Like, 
he he's immediately he he's talking about how stakeouts are they're boring and they're they're exhausting, but you know they need to be done. And then he's immediately nodding off. He's sleeping, you know, and and but he but then he wakes up he and he says up, he sets he, the timer. He wakes up and he says vigilance is essential. Like I, I just it's I all these um juxtapositions of what he's doing and what he's saying are, are and he's doing the exact funny opposite. Yeah. But what I really enjoyed beyond what what they showed me is kind of the meta-ness. You, I mean, you we talked about Fincher being kind of difficult to work with and he's notorious for doing like 800 not 800, but I I'm, I'm exaggerating. 80 takes of a scene. Um, you know, Mark Ruffalo in Zodiac has a famous speech about he thought he was going to get fired off of Zodiac because they kept doing the scene over and over and over again. And finally, uh, you know, one of the takes and Fincher starts walking towards him and he, and he thinks he's, you know, going to grab him or something, but he walks past Ruffalo and, and moves an extra like six inches to the left. You know, that he's just, he's exacting. And yeah. I, I just, I see these characteristics in, this guy, you know, the way he's he's just he's doing his stretches and he, he's just very he's got a routine and you know they nothing more presents itself than when you know he says he's doing the push-ups and um it all comes down to preparation, attention to detail, redundancies, redundancies, redundancies. And I just think it's so f- interesting that I, I think Fincher kind of put himself in this movie as the killer even though you know and he it's it's probably a little bit of self doubt that he's got about what you know what he's doing all the time and that's why he you know he shows himself as kind of a flawed individual and i, I just thought i thought that was really interesting yeah i thought it was good yeah we I, I don't disagree with you the one other thing that i thought was really cool was seeing someone assassinated while how soon is now plays by the smiths i mean <laughs> But, but but not only that, but having eleven Smith songs throughout this uh, throughout the song, you know, he has his work playlist is is all Smiths music, and I just again juxtaposition here subversion, the you know the Smiths are Morrissey, very emotional, you know, one of the most emotional singers we have, and yet got you got this cold calculated guy who's using it to drown out his inner voice, but. There's those scenes where he plays the music and they pop back and forth between Fassbender and what he's looking at, and the music goes in and out. I've never seen that before, and I thought that was so cool. You know that the way it's he, he's trying to drown out his inner voice with the with the music, but it's just not working. <laughs> and so yeah. he keeps he comes back and he talks, and then he looks out, and then the music comes back up and down. I I just. Again, really loved the filmmaking here. I thought it was I thought it was great. Did you have a rating for this, Slavic? I I rated it as a seventy seven. Did you uh did you have a number for this? Yeah, I was a little lower. I'm seventy two. Cool. Still in the seventies though. It's hard for me to go against him. He has so many great movies that I love. Yeah, I mean yeah, I mean you again you, he just doesn't he doesn't miss. I mean I didn't really like Mank that much. Um, I know you you enjoyed that, but if you look throughout his uh, his filmography, he he just doesn't miss. Loved Mank. So I'll let you pick where we're going next. Wait, let's do the reptile. <laughs> reptile. So 
I got chided um, by my friend who I apparently misspoke and said that he highly recommended this movie to me. Um, and then you you went off and you said, you need to talk to your friend, Reptile. I, you know, you kind of gave a, a quick review over it that you weren't um, super impressed with it. Um, so no, it was he, not. He, uh, I believe his, his exact words were, shit, I shouldn't even say that because I don't have them pulled up, but. I think I think he just said it's worth checking out is what he said worth checking oh, out. Oh. So, okay. Um not not a high recommendation, but um Reptile is a movie on Netflix directed and written by Grant Singer. It stars Benicio del Toro, Justin Timberlake, Alicia Silverstone, and a cast of other characters. The IMDb tagline here again, it's on Netflix if I didn't already say that. Tom Nichols is a hardened New England detective, unflinching in his pursuit of a case where nothing is as it seems, and it begins to dismantle the illusions in his own life. So, did you want to go first here and give your your general impression of this movie? Yeah, so on its surface, I think this movie is okay. Um, So it has a great cast. Some top dogs, Benicio... Uh, Justin Silverstone. I'll even give it to Bogosian. They're great. They have. Um, they do a great job. I think the problem is, is that this story has been told so many times before, and there isn't much of a twist. You know it when you watch this movie. You know exactly what's happening, how it's happening. You can predict what's going to happen, and it's just. It's like a. I don't know. This was a cop show that was in the 90s, right? You had 20 of these movies that came out in the 90s, and it, it, it seems like they're trying to trying to do it um, again to you here. So, you know, it jumps from um, Tom Nichols' personal life to his uh, pre- professional life. It, it gives a good avenue for... Alicia Silverstone to have a bigger role, um, but even like some of the some of the antics of like this uh, uh, Michael Pitt, who's actually another character that or another actor that's pretty decent at these types of roles, and he has this role a lot. Um, even when he like like he's trying to communicate, but they won't listen to him. Right? <laughs> and it's, you're like, why won't you guys just listen to him? He has information. And the way he goes about presenting that he has something is like he breaks into his house and then that gives uh, Alicia Silverstone, Judy Nichols character, the opportunity to like be a tough guy. And I just thought it was really gimmicky. It didn't. um, So going back to what I didn't like about it, it was I think it was very gimmicky. The presentation of the film, there's not much mystery to it, Um, despite good acting. The writing really doesn't take you in any new direction. It doesn't make any big leaps. It's just a cop conspiracy drama that we've seen many, many times before. And you kind of watch it. You're left kind of flat at the end. You're like, okay, I, I okay. Didn't really leave with you with any kind of impression. I watched this movie. I never thought about it again. So I, with that, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, so... You did say good acting, and I would agree with you for the most part, other than Justin Timberlake. I just 
I didn't buy what he was selling at all in this movie. And you know, he doesn't act that much. So I guess I need to cut him a little bit of slack. I mean, he's, he's a pretty decent entertainer, but I just, I did not buy his golf club joining real estate, you know, local, but he's, he's, he's kind of not a mogul, but his, his mom's the real estate mogul. Like I just, I don't know. I just didn't buy it. Um, but I guess what I wanted to get to was this movie's called Reptile. Why do you think it's called Reptile? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I didn't do that much thinking about it, to be honest with you. So if you know, let me know. So Benicio Del Toro is, I, th- this is the best thing I could come up with. Benicio Del Toro is trying to change, right? It, 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 he, he, or at least he seems to be struggling with change. And they kind of allude to he's got a, checkered past but they don't give you enough of it to understand that he how much or what he's really struggling with what what skin he's trying to shed um and i i so i think that's you know he's the reptile um but then to confuse the matter the girl who gets murdered at the very beginning of this movie has like a snake tattoo down her back and i just i i think it's Maybe that's just supposed to be some form of metaphor or allusion to you know what's coming, but I, I just didn't buy it and definitely didn't connect any of that. I mean, I know it's called reptile, but you you see it as reptile. You go through the whole movie. You never think it never alludes to any of the title at all. Well, and there's I also I, she she moves that she's staging that house. She moves that plant, and there's a shed skin of a snake there. I, but again, I, I the way I look at it is it's Del Toro who's trying to change his, you know, he's he's trying to change his skin, trying to become a better person, trying to become not a dirty cop, like spoiler alert, like his colleagues. So yeah, um, maybe, but it doesn't but, do a good enough job to connect those dots, right? Because yeah, we're the, you're, you're, we're questioning it. The other thing that was strange that's not really explained very well is his, the, the, I guess the symbolism behind his hand. We know that he, it seems like Alicia Silverstone has stabbed him or something at the very beginning of this movie because they kind of allude to she did this or what have you. But throughout it, he's he's struggling with this hand and it actually becomes a problem like it in the last, in some of his scenes that he can't. I thought it was an accident in the kitchen. They, they. That's what he says. But then there's like a little side talk that he has with Alicia Silverstone. They say they allude to that he's covering up something. And don't but, make don't make me have to watch this again. I think you're grasping. Yeah. I don't know. There's just there seems to be and the, any the of very that. the very last Stop scene trying is to make this movie interesting. God damn it! The, the very last scene, she's dipping his hands in wax, which I think is supposed to be healing for his hands. But I, yeah. I don't even know what's going on with the hands. Um, I'm just so mad that you knocked my boy Justin Timberlake, who is a god and can do anything. I, I just don't, I just don't understand why you would say those things. The last thing I'll say about this movie is the soundtrack was really, really distracting and weird. Like it was like a lot of dissonant sounds and uh, just very, and then over the top, like crescendos of stuff that just was distracting. Like I it didn't, it really took away from from the movie. So. Like I said, if I had to give this a rating, it'd be in the 40s, probably, maybe even the 30s. 
I have it as a 49, and actually on our sheet, you have it as a 34. Where are we going to next, my friend? So this is the last thing I was uh, prepared to talk about tonight, and uh, you know maybe we can go on from there, but uh, I wanted to talk a little bit more about No Hard Feelings, the Jennifer Lawrence movie that you finally checked out. <laughs> I still I think about this movie all the time, but well, not necessarily about the movie. But like I don't know how to put it into words the way I feel about this movie. So the, to put it in perspective, this is a fantasy film about something fantastical, right? So you have that. That's a uh, super descriptive. Now nah, I'm trying. I'm walking a fine line here, my friend. Um, so there's this nerdy kid, and his parents want him to have a sexual experience with a woman. Before he goes to college. Before he goes to college. And, of course, one of the most attractive women in the town, let's say the world, is just happens to interview to do this for a car. So she has sex with the kid. She ends up with a Buick. And... That's the premise. Even... Even just saying it out loud with words makes me go, how the fuck did this movie get made? And the only attraction, math, so Matthew Broderick is in this, which just yes. fucking makes your head explode. <laughs> um, which makes me think he must have some kind of connect. There must be a production company connection between him and Jennifer Lawrence somehow. Well, it's it's also the dissonance of... You know, Ferris Bueller being now a dad who has a son who is not Ferris Bueller, right? Um, okay, if you say so. <laughs> so it is exactly what you think it is. Jennifer Lawrence is smoking hot in this. She's beautiful. She dresses incredibly seductively. But then there's this scene. Now, I just want to preface this that, I mean, she is a super megastar. She is an Oscar winner. She is like a mother. My teenage boys watch the Hunger Games, not because of the great story, but because she's in it. Right. And it's. Like there's this scene in this in this movie where you're like, holy cow. And I mean, it adds to the story. Why, why do you say holy cow? Because she's completely naked and she's bas- basically doing WrestleMania 5500. And it's <laughs> like I, you and I, when you and I talked about this film, you basically kept just saying, you have to see this movie. And I'm like, this movie looks like nothing I would like. Yes. <laughs> like, we well, know me, and you're like, you have to see this movie. <laughs> you have to. And I'm assuming you have come to the same conclusion in that you're like, why? Why would this person of this caliber, I mean, some I, somebody told me, Maybe it was you, maybe it was somebody else that I was harping on this movie about, was that the budget was $30 million, and that $20 million of it went to Jennifer Lawrence. And if that's the case, 
kudos to you. Drive your Buick home. You're all fucking set. Um, thank you, really. Thank you for that scene. But, like, I, I'm just still completely blown away. Like, <laughs> like if I saw... I don't know how to put it. I don't I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like it's bad that she did it. I don't want to make it sound that it's inappropriate that she did it. It's just it's just it, shocking. It's yeah, just it shocking. And like we were just talking about uh Tisdale and Blanchette, right? Was it it was Tisdale, right? Tisdale. Tisdale. Wayman Tisdale, power Wayman. forward from Oklahoma. <laughs> What's her name? Tilda Swinton. Swinton. Yeah. So we're going to have to edit that. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not editing that. <laughs> <laughs> so we were just talking about them. And, like, I just can't imagine that they would ever commit to that type of scene. Yeah. And it's, I don't know what that says. Like, it says that, obviously, Jennifer feels that. Man, I feel weird calling her Jennifer. Um, she feels that she's like empowered and obviously she's gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. I fucking love the scene, but I love the scene for all the wrong reasons, right? I don't love it because of the acting. I love it because I get to see skin and it, it's this super mega star. Like, I don't know how to, like, I know this is a tough conversation and I'm dangling. Just let you know. go, dude. I know, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just waiting for some kind of ball to drop where I'm like, fuck, what did I just say? I'm glad this isn't live. But it's, I don't know why it's uncomfortable to talk about, right? Because on one hand, she's a beautiful woman and she can do whatever she wants, right? More power to her. She's not hurting anybody. She's just showing off her beauty, right? And it's in a funny situation. It legitimately is funny. She kicks the shit out of three guys. She just happens to do it. Or three people. She just happens to do a buck naked on a beach. It, it, I mean, it is funny. It's just when I, when I think of the caliber of, and maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the fuck up. I'm probably the fuck up. But the caliber of Jennifer Lawrence to do this scene, to me, I don't know, at some level doesn't compute. Am I wrong? Well, Am I wrong? I, like it, I feel like I'm wrong. I don't I don't think you're wrong. Uh, you know, I've heard Why does it hurt to talk about this so much? <laughs> I've heard Jennifer Lawrence in interviews talk about how she enjoys raunchy comedies. You know, she I I I want to say you know, one of her favorite movies of all and this isn't a raunchy comedy, but she loves Silly comedies. So I'll leave it at you know one of her favorite movies of all time is Dumb and Dumber. And yeah, you know, I think she talked about Super Bad. And you know, if you think about movies from the past, like a Meatballs or a Porkies, and you know, that were had a lot of nudity in them or what have you, you know, I, I think she was just trying to bring some of that back. But what's interesting about those movies is yeah, the the star the stars of those movies weren't getting naked. You know, it was the background girls and and well, what that, have you. Well, that and Porky's and Meatballs and Airplane and Top Secret, all of these zany comedies. 
are zany comedies from start to end. Mm-hmm. This movie at the very end turns into this drama where you're yeah, like it becomes kind of heartfelt, right? Yeah, you're like why 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 are we touchy feely? This is a sh- movie about a 32-year-old hooker who is with it's pretty woman on crack. Like yeah. I don't understand how like it just turn makes such a dramatic turn at the end. You're like you were just trying to sleep with this dude. Now you guys are best friends, like, yeah. and you're you're giving your house. Like, it just seemed like way out there. Like, I would love for it to continue in the raunchiness where she gets sprayed with the water hose. That kid as an actor too. Fucking kudos to that. I mean, he's yeah, he got this for the rest. I mean, Andrew was, Barth Feldman is his name. I thought he was really good. I mean, it's unreal though. It's unfathomable. This is this is where the story gets crazy. So, so I don't care but, what this person is. If a girl like that, and we were all eighteen once, we were all nineteen. Yes, we were once, all horny little boys. Yes. And if there was a thirty-two-year-old that looked up like a fifth of what a fourth of an eighth. Of what Jennifer Lawrence did? And you had a van? I mean, get out of here, dude. Like, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't care who you are. But she would have been driving that Buick in two hours. But I think they played that off pretty well in how over the top she was coming on to him. You know, it was really, he, he was like, whoa, you know. Close your eyes for a second and think back to when you were 18, 19 year old. All you imagined was a girl coming on to you that strong. That's all you wanted. Yeah. Every porn had it that way. So if this really happened to you in real life, you'd be like, oh, holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it takes a lot of uh, disbelief suspension to to uh, really get into this movie. But again, it's a dumb comedy. And yeah, but you're right. It does kind of swift shift gears and become kind of more heartfelt at the end. I, I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, and How many I, times have you watched it? 40, no, 50 only, times? I've only watched it the one time. <laughs> uh, of course, uh, I'm, I'm biased. I, it's got my boy, Richie, in it. Eben Moss Backrack is in it. I, I enjoyed it. and But yeah, the you could probably write a book on the reasons that Jennifer Lawrence did this movie or, or and try to analyze the decision here. But... The one thing that we didn't talk about is not only is she buck naked, uh, dropping elbows and and what have you on people, but it's also scored to Hall and Oates' Man Eater. Yeah, I think that's less important, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, I just uh, more power to her. I look at I I think I've said on this podcast that there's. There's something I didn't I, I haven't connected the dots with her, right? As an actress and as um what this movie did for me and her in particular was really made me appreciate that she's not a Jennifer Aniston type or I think you and I even may have talked about this as you mentioned a Demi Moore, or maybe I mentioned a Demi Moore to you. Mm-hmm. But Maybe it was even you that pointed out to me. I don't remember. Man, my memory's going. But she's really kind of the girl next door more than anything else. That she's she just emanates this fun vibe that 
Like, even when she's upset and angry, like, she's the girlfriend that you know is going to come back, right? Like, it's, I mean, and that quality is hard to find. And I think that's why people gravitate to her, towards her and, and really like her. And uh, unfortunately, it, this movie's the first movie that really kind of put that in my face. Yeah, I, I think if, if you like that vibe, uh, I think I've mentioned this in the past, but her episode of Hot Ones, the, the, the show I mentioned on every one of our podcasts, the, the wing-eating uh, show that's on YouTube, uh, is really great. And it's just kind of a glimpse into her personality. And, and I think if you watch it, Slavic, you might, it, it, it might click into place just kind of how of a goofball she is and how she probably thought this was really friggin' funny and would be funny for her to do. I, I don't know. Yeah. I guess I, to reiterate, I'm not like, I'm not knocking her. I'm just trying mm -hmm. to understand it. Right. Yeah. And, no, it's, and... it's hard to understand. Like you, it's just, it, and because it's so unprecedented, that's why it's hard to understand. Like you, not only do you not see nudity in, in a lot of movies these days, but the stars don't get nude. Like, and they don't, then they're definitely not doing it in this way. If they are getting nude, you know, it's a sex scene and it's tastefully done. It's tastefully done, right? And yeah. then, yeah. Um, so more power to her. I mean, it's all good. But you know what? In a trend, right? Not to stay on nudity, although it is something that I'm very interested in. <laughs> um, men, men are showing their goods a lot more now, it seems like, than the women are. Like... Um, I'm trying to think of what movie that freaking um, the puppet guy that does the Dracula. What's oh. his freaking name? Uh, Jason um, Siegel. Yeah. I mean, I'm, in every movie, I think I, I see his penis. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just positive thinking. There was a movie I watched recently where there was... Several Male genitalia, several dongs, and I cannot remember which one it was. I was just pulling up my list, and I'm it's not. I don't know what it was. I don't know. Is that progress? Is that progress? Because yeah. before it was never. You never saw front frontal nudity of a man. Hmm. I think it was that movie, The Piano, that started. You could see Harvey Keitel's. Was Harvey Keitel in that? Maybe it wasn't The Piano. Maybe it was something else. Some movie buff I am. I can't even remember. Oh, I know what it was. It was uh, this, the show, The Curse, uh, that we've talked about, uh, or that I, that I, yeah, I talked about to you um, that with Emma Stone and Nathan, uh, Nathan Felder. Yeah, there's there's some male genitalia in that. Sure. <laughs> That's a movie that you presented to me so well. <laughs> You gotta. So, that's another one. You gotta see it. Well, what's it about? Just go see it. What? Well, yeah. what happens in it? It doesn't matter. Just go see it. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we should talk about it a little bit, just real quick. Slavic hasn't watched it yet, but yeah, the curse is on Paramount Do Plus. Do not spoil it. Curse is on Paramount Plus. It's a kind of a making of a reality show, like an HGTV show, where Emma Stone and Nathan Felder are a newly married couple, and they're. They're starting the show Flipanthropy, where they're going to be house flipping and what have you. And it is very uncomfortable. Um, Nathan Filder's comedy, if you're not familiar with it, he's of a 
he did a show on HBO called The Rehearsal, which was very unique and very odd and very uncomfortable. And then he also did a show on Comedy Central called Nathan For You, which was, again, very much in the similar vein. And yeah, there's some... Um, it, they are do it, starting a reality show and Nathan Fielder does something and gets cursed by a, a little girl. She, she, he gives her some money and then takes it back. And she says, I curse you. And that's where the show kind of starts to devolve from there. And it, it's a, a, definitely a takedown of the HGTV industry. It's a takedown of, narcissism and it's very interesting i've i'm only through two episodes of it it's a 10 episode show that's you know i think there's only two episodes out right now but it's another one where you will watch this and you will go why is emma stone doing this show um you know she's next to jennifer lawrence one of the biggest actresses in hollywood and she's on this show with Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie, who, you know, we, I love Benny Safdie. You know, I think you're, you're a fan as well. You know, he wrote and directed uncut gems and there's another movie that's great out there called good time that he stars in, but the whole show is about Nathan Fielder's comedy is about making you uncomfortable. And Benny Safdie's movies are about making you squirm and, they brought the two, the uncomfortableness and squirminess together in this show. And I don't know if the show is very good, but it's definitely interesting to watch. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I just, um, I didn't know it was a show. I thought it was a movie that you were telling me about. No, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a show on Paramount plus. And again, Corbin Burnson is in it. <laughs> Corbin Burnson is in it. And he is, um, he, his male genitalia are on display in uh, one oh, scene of the well, first episode. I'm pretty sure that means I'm going to watch it tonight. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I, at this point, couldn't tell you if it's good or not, but it is definitely interesting for what it's doing. It's definitely different than anything you've ever seen before. And uh, it's worth a watch, <laughs> to use my buddy's uh, terminology. Try to see who's older, Jennifer Lawrence or Emma Stone's. Stones, Emma Stone. I think Jennifer Lawrence is a year older. No, Emma Stone's two years older than her. Oh, really? That's crazy. Is there anything else you want to talk about, Slavic? Yeah, so I got something stupid I want to talk about. Okay. Did you know that there was a RoboCop reboot that was done oh. in 2014? No. I'm gonna blow. I'm gonna blow you away right now. You're gonna be like Slavic. There's no way these actors are in it. But I'm going to tell you who was in RoboCop 2014, and you're going to go, lies, Slavic. There's no way that these top-billed actors would be in this film. But just to give you an idea, Joel Kinnaman is in it. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, I, Joel Kinnaman's Oldman, the RoboCop. Gary Oldman's in it. Michael Keaton's in it. Samuel L. Jackson's in it. How come this movie didn't, like... What the fuck? How did I, A, not hear about this reboot? And B, is it any good? Have you seen it? I have not seen it, but I do remember Joel Kinnaman playing RoboCop, And but I do not know why it came and went. Maybe because it's RoboCop and it's a reboot and it wasn't very good, just like the 
I think we talked about that on a recent podcast. You asked me if I had seen the Arnold Schwarzenegger Mars movie that was remade. Total Recall. Total Recall. Um, and so I, I kind of put that in the same basket, probably, that it's just not very good. Mm. I think I got to check this out because I'm a huge... I thought RoboCop, when I first saw it, back in the 80s. Uh, how, so how did you come across this and decide that it needed to be discussed on a, a current events podcast about so, pop culture? To, I mean, it's a stretch. Wait a minute. It's a stretch to think that we're current events. <laughs> Let's talk about Barbie. I was going to watch RoboCop and looked it up, see if I could stream it. And the only one I could stream was this new one. And I was like, whoa, I'm not I'm not streaming the new one without talking to Wade about it first. <laughs> so... I ended up I ended up buying the three movie set of the original robot RoboCops for wow. fourteen ninety nine. Wow, I yeah. I will admit to not seeing RoboCop two and three, uh, and I did can't you not imagine think the first good. one was amazing? The first one was amazing. Uh, the first one was okay. It, I can't not... believe the caliber of actor that is in the second one. Abby Cornish is in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like her. She's very nice. Jack, oh no way! Jackie Earl Haley is in it as well. He's from uh, uh, Bad News Bears, Watchmen. Yeah, and the Bad Michael News Bears. K. Williams is in it as well. Uh, wow! Holy crap! Like it's a Jennifer Ann Ale is in it too. From uh, what's that? A sum up in, in Zero Dark Thirty. Jay, that that dude that's in every uh, he's in Tropic Thunder and he's How to Train Your Dragon. Oh, Jay, Jay Baruchel? Yeah, man, I'm so glad you're here to say the things the right way. <laughs> so, instead of reading IMDb to the podcast, or anything, uh, any other movies or shows you wanted to discuss? I watched one of the best movies of all time yesterday. It's called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I enjoyed <laughs> this movie so much. Okay, It's so good. You should check it out. <laughs> it's so good. All right. Again, can we talk about current-ish things? Oh, I started watching Better Call Saul. Good for that's, you. I'm I'm happy that you finally dove in. First, how many episodes? How many de- episodes are you in? Three, three episodes. I'm much more interested in this than I am the bear. I gotta tell you. Well, <laughs> they're both very good shows, and you need to finish one of them. At least, uh, I would think the bear is a, is a, is an easier lift, but yeah, I guess. What are you watching? Are you watching anything good? Uh, I'm watching several shows right now, but I recently checked out a movie that was on our summer playlist or summer uh, movies to watch list, and that was Hypnotic with Ben Affleck. Um, and oh, wait a minute! I thought you hated this movie. I really hated this movie. It is one of the worst <laughs> movies I've ever seen. Um, oh, I kind of want to uh, see it now. I rated it a five on our scale. It is so terrible. A five. It, a five. A five. I put it lower than your favorite movie, um, The Flash and uh, The Justice League. It is terrible. I mean, it's on Peacock right now, so I encourage everyone Peacock. to... Go put their dollars into the peacock machine and and watch this movie because it is astonishing how bad this movie is. 
astonishing. It makes no sense. It's about hypnosis as using it to do crimes. And yet it's not really about hypnosis. It's more about telekinesis um, <laughs> in the way I understand it. And it makes no sense and it's totally convoluted. There is one interesting turn in the movie that's interesting for about 30 seconds. And they, I'm like, oh man, I thought it was getting good. And then it, the bottom drops right the fuck back out. And it's not good at all. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> what was that movie with Ben Affleck where he's like an architect or an engineer? He's married to this crazy girl. I think we watched the last year. And the ending is he kills the guy. Oh, Deep Water. Ma- deep Water. Yeah. Deep Water runs circles around this movie. And deep water was something I rated in the forties. Yeah, deep water kind of lost itself a little bit, right? You never really understood where that Anna de Armas character was coming from, right? I remember it's crazy. that. Crazy, right? crazy nymphomaniac. But yeah, so hypnotic. Check it out if you want to see one of the worst movies ever. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna do that. Nope. I got enough homework. But other shows I'm watching right now, uh, The Curse, Murder at the End of the World is on Hulu. I've checked out a couple episodes of that. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting. It's kind of a it's very similar to Glass Onion and the Agatha Christie type movies that they've got going on right now. There's basically a, a retreat of people and a murder happens. And then you've got a, a Sherlock Holmes-ish type person trying to solve the, uh, the murder um, up in Iceland. And I started watching uh, Monarch on Apple TV, the uh, King of Monsters show or something like that. And my impression there is that Apple Plus uh, just likes to burn money. That's that's what I took away from it. Because it's a show about Gojira and King Kong and all these big monsters. And yet it's a television show. It looks fantastic. It's not fantastic, but it looks fantastic like all Apple Plus shows do. And they just are incinerating cash with, with I'm gonna, the show. I, I try. I had that one on. I fell asleep, but I'm definitely going to check it out. The most interesting thing about the show is that it stars Kurt Russell and his son, Wyatt Russell. And they play the same character in different time periods. And it's funny to watch Wyatt Russell try to be his dad. Do a Kurt Russell kind of impersonation. And he does kind of a voice thing that is very Kurt Russell-ish. So, anyway. All right, sorry. Last topic. Yes. And then we can let all our listeners go. What what have you been reading about what's going on at Disney and the fallout over the Marvels and how like they're really starting to think things through and like go, "Oh shit, we got a big problem on our hands." Yeah, well, you- I know that they're reshuffling how they're making TV shows. Um, yeah, I don't know if you saw the crazy story about they had the, the they were making a Daredevil show before the strike strikes plural came and they were it was supposed to be an 18 episode show, which is unheard of for a Disney Plus show. But maybe they were making they were going to break it into two seasons or something. And they were halfway through filming it and they stopped and they've gone back to the drawing board. Um, and they're, you know, the whole Marvel machine is kind of based on 
they would go just film a bunch of stuff and they would kind of find the show in, in the edits. And I, you know, that became kind of more and more, and, and they were doing this with movies too. It kind of became more and more apparent recently, just kind of how these shows and TV and movies kind of lacked some focus. And they're definitely on the TV shows. I've heard that they are now going to hire a showrunner who's going to sketch out a show and then they're going to go film it. And none of this finding the show in post, and so I know that they're changing this and I've heard the Marvels uh, and saw the box office for the Marvels has not done well, but I, you know, I don't know what they're doing on the, the movie side to correct, but they, they definitely seem to realize that they have a problem on their hands. And one of the things that I also saw as a potential correction to this is they've now, they're going to have a separate category of show called Marvel spotlight shows, which are going to, are supposedly going to indicate to you that you don't need to know what happened in the previous 32 movies to understand this show. It's going to be kind of a standalone type of thing. And that, that echo show, which is echo is a spinoff of the Hawkeye show, but calling it this spotlight show. The trailer for this show actually looks pretty good, but I'm still out. I'm, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm still on hiatus for Marvel. So yeah, I mean, um, we've talked about this. You, you sounded the alarm early on that you were, you you didn't see how it was going to work with all of these show, all of these shows and movies staying interconnected. And I just, I had a little bit more faith that there was a plan, much like the first run, through phase through four, one through four, phases one through five, whatever it was, where it ended on Infinity War and Endgame. I want to point out, and I want to thank you for giving me credit, and I want everyone to go back to listen to our first podcast when we talk about Disney+. Plus. I don't know what episode it was, but there is a show where I'm sitting there going, I say Literally what just Slavic just said, which what has happened, where if I've got to watch six TV shows to keep up with the movies, I don't know that it's going to work. And I think I was prophetic. So yeah, I think my, I'm going to beat my chest a little bit I harder. Mean, it was here. a lot. It was a lot better when you were humble about it than being a dick <laughs> and just rubbing it in everybody's face now. So that left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. I was trying to be nice and give you some credit, but now I kind of want to just say, fuck you. Um, <laughs> But you were you were right, but I think where I was burned on it is that I guess I believe that if you can pull off thirty two movies with a solid plan, why wouldn't you employ that same methodology? Why can't it just seem right from the get go? Right from the get go, they could not separate themselves enough from the end game scenario. And they just didn't have a good vision. And at first, I think a lot of people were trying to buy into the multiverse. And then they lost it. And a hundred uh, everybody was just like, this is multiverse is a bailout, so you can bring back old characters. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that line hit, now they couldn't even go back and bring in old characters. Like you're done now. Yeah. And I think it just collapsed under its own weight 
But what happened with Feige? Like I was, I am so surprised that. Well, he's he's stretched so thin. Why is he? St- well, because now it's not just two movies a year or three movies a year. It's three movies plus four TV shows a year. And so, you know, if you're, uh, like I said, fixing things in post and we'll find the story in post, we'll just go film a bunch of stuff and then we'll, we'll go back and reshoot stuff to make, to, to shape the story. And your creative force that's leading that has to stay on top of all of this. It's it's just not physically possible. I want to go back to something you were saying, um, and, I, and I think you were talking about how the thirty-two movie, movies previously, how it seemed so focused and they like they had a plan. Um, I haven't read this book yet, but I I own it on audiobook, but I haven't started listening to it. But I have read some excerpts of it in in different magazines, Variety or or what have you. But again, the the book is called The Reign of the MCU, and it's by Joanna Robinson and Dave Gonzalez. But the one thing that I thought was incredibly interesting was that Thanos was a mistake. They put Thanos at the end of that first Avengers movie is just kind of a lark. They did not at, at that time the the Infinity Saga was not planned out. I mean, so I shouldn't say it was a mistake. But it was a happy accident, I, I guess I'll, I'll say that, is that that was not the plan. And yet people responded to it, so then it became the plan. So when you think that this must have been incredibly planned out and plotted out from the get-go, it, it wasn't. Um, and the, you know they talk about that in this book, and, I, and I'm interested in, in learning more about it. But it, there's, there's definitely a lot of... Uh, Iron Man, the first movie, was written basically day to day on the fly by Robert Downey Jr. and uh, John Favreau. Like they they would they talked about how they were just making the shit up as they went and happy again happy accidents. Pretty interesting. Yeah, I I, I just looked up the book and threw it in my Amazon basket. But they definitely, ha- I mean, Thanos may have been a mistake, but there was a moment where they realized. I don't know if it's is it Iron Man one that they find the shield for Captain America, and that's where Agent what's his name is in, or is it Iron Man two? Or maybe it's even Thor. They had the I, wherewithal to start plotting this stuff yeah. out, right? And then they didn't know where it was going, but then I mean Thanos is a completely different character the first time he's unveiled to who he is in the end game, right? Mm-hmm. So I give them some leniency in that, but there was a direction, right? They they had an Avengers they knew they wanted an Avengers movie five or six movies in on all these solo guys, right? Oh for sure. Yeah. And this next phase that they're in the middle of now, we're what, thirteen movies in, fifteen movies in, and there's nothing on the horizon for reuniting the Avengers in any kind of way. Definitely not. And but who who even are the Avengers? You know exactly. Like I would have thought that as soon as they were done with Endgame, there's there'd be a meeting and there they they would say, "Here is our goal: that in six movies, the seventh one's going to be another Avengers movie. And how do we create the map of who's going to be those new Avengers? We got to replace Iron Man." We got to replace Captain America, and maybe you're right. The mistake was 
Captain America will be handled in a TV show, right? So that's movie one, or quote-unquote movie one, right? And then Hawkeye will be designated to a TV show, and then we'll try all these other guys. But those other guys were such misses. Like, I think of the Eternals, right? Like, mm-hmm. that, that was just such a bad presentation. Yep. And... I don't know. It just so, yeah. I mean, oh, I think well. we've we've trod this ground before, but so what? Are you at all interested in seeing the Marvels? I'm more interested in seeing the Marvels in seeing how far it's fallen. You're in it for the train wreck of it. I'm in it for the train wreck and just what is going to happen. How are they going to recover from this? Because every property that they had. And I'm going back to Disney. Every property that they have or or invested in the last 20 years is crumbling. It's crumbling. And you're like, how can this be? Like, well, you, you're on top of the world. And now, like, I mean, the first one, obviously, is Star Wars. Like, how could, how could they have treated that property so poorly yeah. to put themselves... Well, like, I've what? even heard one more comment before I before I let you go is I've even heard that Disney's parks are taking a hit. Like people are now turning on Magic Kingdom and going, this is the same place it's been since the 60s. Like somebody needs to do an upgrade here. You guys need to invest in this park. And this is an unheard backlash on Disney. And, I, and not to get political, but I wonder how much of this is is because of the political problems they have in Florida on top of this. You know, people are now speaking out against them not paying taxes in Florida and and having all this land and and not developing it. And it just seems like a crazy, like it just one, one backlash after another, and now all the pillars are tumbling. And could you imagine a world without Disney? Well, I mean, I think in a macro sense people are feeling what you and i have been talking about for several years now which is give us fresh stories give us new characters you know it this this reliance on existing ip i think it has just gone too far and uh, you know so whether it's goofy and mickey mouse or Iron Man and Captain America, it's like, I know, you know, that was part of my couple of months ago meltdown is that I just, I'm just tired. I want new stuff. I, I want, I want, I want to support new movies and new ideas. And, and I think, cause interesting enough, people I trust and that I listen to on podcasts and that, you know, I read reviews of most people that I've read actually said the Marvels wasn't that bad. Like they, they enjoyed it. Like it wasn't great. It's not top tier Marvel, but it's not for the dark world either. You know, it's Thor in the dark world. We've, we've tread that ground before too. (laughs) Um, But it's performance at the box office is definitely indicative of that. People are feeling the same things that I've been feeling is that we're just kind of done. Like we, most people didn't watch Secret Invasion, so that was the last property before this. And from what I know, you had to, you kind of had to know 
a little bit about Secret Invasion to understand the Marvels. And obviously, your understanding of it also depends on WandaVision. It also depends on the TV show Miss Marvel. Um, and I just think that's too much for these movies. And I, I, I think this gambit of building everything on top of each other, they need to, to rethink that and start over. I've been saying that for years now. And I, I just... The the reliance on existing IP, I think, is also, you know, how many reboots uh, of RoboCop do we need? Like, uh, do something different. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, it's not like Killers of the Flower Moon did gangbusters either. But if the killer was in movie theaters, I mean, it was, but, not, you know, Netflix does limited releases. I think if it was marketed that way, I, I think that movie would do great. But it's it's just not marketed that way, and yet it's it's a Netflix property, and we can watch it at home on our iPads already. Yeah, I mean, I think there's so much value in what you're saying as far as the bailout for not only Disney but all of Hollywood, and to some extent, I'm in the like I saw Killers of the Flower Moon. I didn't like it, but I'm glad I went and saw it and support a a director that I really like and and a property that took some risks and wasn't the norm. Oppenheimer, another one. Um, one movie that you have to see that I think is in the same vein of original stories is the creator. I think mm -hmm. they they try to do something new and something creative that wasn't out there. Granted, it may have not hit with every person, but at least it's an attempt. It's an attempt to get away from the Superman effect, right? And it, it the more, like, there's a couple movies out right now that I'm, like, dying to go see um, that are standalone, what I would consider old flicks one comes to mind napoleon's coming up the holdovers that's the one that i'm so looking forward to seeing that napoleon is another one an epic that looks amazing it looks amazing but the holdovers to me in particular small budget human drama i think i'm gonna go see it in the theaters I'm, i don't want to see it on the small screen even though i don't think it's justified to see it on the big screen i just want this movie to be successful. Napoleon, I will, I, I think, will be out on the big screen, but it'll be hard not to watch it on the small screen when it comes out because it's just such. It just looks like such a great film. Well, I, I think what's what's interesting to me about Napoleon, and it kind of comes back to Legacy or Monarch, Legacy of Monsters, or whatever the hell that show is, is you know Apple Plus. And maybe this is a bigger conversation for another pod, but you know, Apple Plus funded that movie. They funded Killers of the Flower Moon. They funded this show. And at some point, we got to, other than incinerating cash, what is the gambit here for Apple Plus? And I think we're too far into this podcast to, to have a long discussion about it. But I, I really don't understand what they're doing other than uh, spending a lot of money to. to have uh, an iPhone in their shows every now and then. And of course, Napoleon's not going to have an iPhone in it. Neither did Killers of Flower Moon. But, uh, you know, a lot of the Apple Plus shows seem to 
uh, showcase Apple products here and there, but I, I don't I don't understand it at all. Uh, so I'll I'll make this quick and we can finish on this. But I just found this out. So Band of Brothers is a prized HBO possession, right? They made that movie. They spent a shit ton of money making it. Um, it was a Spielberg Hanks collaboration to produce it to get it done. It hit the hit HBO. It sold a ton in DVD sales. So six years, seven years later, they greenlit the Pacific. Right? The Pacific is um, World War II story about the Marines fighting island to island in the Pacific in World War II. A little bit done, a little bit differently than Band of Brothers. But still, an epic, spent a shit ton of money, and in HBO terms, it flopped, right? Mm -hmm. Spielberg and Hanks then went back to HBO and said, we want to do a third one about bombing raids and the pilots that flew planes. And HBO said, you guys are going to come at us with a $250, $300 million budget. We're not interested. We don't think it's going to make the money. You know who signed up for it and has been working on it for the last four years? Apple, Apple Plus. Plus. Yeah. I was blown away. Blown yeah. away. They're just, I mean, they are literally, is Apple, like, I would love to see the, I mean, you're right, maybe we should have a podcast just on streaming services and, and just analyze who's going to survive this battle. Because yeah. um, it, it definitely looks like some players are taking a bigger hit than others. And um, it'll be interesting to see how it, how, how it shapes out. I, I've also read that the model of streaming is defunct. It doesn't work well. You need giants to be able to fund these shows. for. And when, when I say giants, it's advertising dollars mm -hmm. that really push a lot of these shows. The HBO model only works in very small areas and without dvd sales hbo is also taking a big hit and has to reanalyze its business plan so maybe it is worth talking about it because in that conversation i would like to understand why marketing isn't included in the budgets for these like it just it's doesn't not. make any sense it's, to me it's, it's like not. Um, it just so a movie that's two hundred million dollars is actually four hundred million dollars because we don't include the marketing. It's just well, well, why not just include the marketing if everybody knows? But beyond that, when they report domestic gross, that's gross, and they, they, you don't know what the the studios take is because the movie theaters keep a varying percentage, so it's hard to know what movies are making money and what aren't. Anyway, totally different digression, but yeah, it's it's insane the the business. Of Hollywood is insane for sure. Yeah, not as All insane right. as what Apple Plus is doing, but it's <laughs> but it's insane. It is. It is. So we told you not to see Lioness. We told yes. you not to see Reptile, and we told you to go see the Killer, right? Yes, and we. I think we told you to see No Hard Feelings, right? <laughs> <laughs> for all the wrong reasons, yes. Um, for all the wrong reasons, go see No Hard Feelings. And but I yes. would give a recommendation to watch The Curse, but I don't know um, whether or not that's a good or bad show, but it's worth watching. Like I like I told Slavic about No Hard Feelings. 
it's Same worth shit. watching all over again <laughs> <laughs> all right everybody uh, have a good night thank you bye that concludes the show thanks everyone for listening We'd love to get your support and your opinion of the podcast, so please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Deep Shots Pod and on Facebook, Deep Shots Podcasts. Email your comments, opinions, and future show suggestions at deepshotspod at gmail.com. Stay safe. Much love. Bye.